China has a quarter of the world's Alzheimer's patients. With the country's gray population growing rapidly, the number of patients will likely increase fourfold by 2050. Meet the patients, their families and caregivers, and discover the anxiety, struggle and misconceptions behind one of the biggest problems of an aging society in our documentary, Aging in China, Living with Alzheimer's, on CGTN Radio. For podcast listeners, search The Top Story and find the program on all popular podcast apps on September the 21st, the 30th World Alzheimer's Day. Hello and welcome to The Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents from around the world. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Coming up, firefighters in Australia are battling more than 60 wildfires across three states as the eastern part of the country bakes under an unusual spring heatwave. Canada and India have issued travel warnings to their nationals as the rift widens over the killing of a Sikh separatist leader. And China says it's ready to work with members of the United Nations Security Council to bring an end to the conflict in Ukraine. We begin in Oceania. It's springtime down under, but an unusual heat wave has been scorching much of the country's east, and firefighters are battling more than 60 wildfires across three states. Meteorologists have warned that although the worst of the heat has ended, persistent dry weather and gusty winds will prolong wildfire dangers. The country's Bureau of Meteorology has officially declared that Australia is in the midst of an El Nino weather pattern that's typically associated with hotter and drier conditions. Greg Navarro has the story. From Queensland, across New South Wales and into Tasmania, firefighters are busy trying to contain more than 60 fires across Australia's east. In New South Wales, more than 600 firefighters are on the ground and in the air battling flames and the conditions. Obviously we're quite concerned with those winds strengthening this afternoon that embers can get out and those fires could break. Dozens of schools south of Sydney were closed where the fire danger was rated as catastrophic and the start to the most serious bushfire season since the 2019-2020 deadly bushfires has caused anxiety for some people who lived through it. We got attacked three times in the fires before, so we're just watching what's going on all the time. Much of Australia is experiencing a dangerous spring heat wave with record-breaking temperatures in some parts of the country up to 16 degrees Celsius above the September average. So what's quite unusual about this heat at this time is the prolonged nature of it. Australia's Bureau of Meteorology has declared the country is in the midst of two significant weather patterns, El Nino, and a positive Indian Ocean diapole. Both these climate drivers have a significant influence on the Australian climate, um, in particular favouring warmer and drier conditions, particularly over spring, but also into early summer. Um, those conditions are associated or accompanied by an increase in fire danger and extreme heat risk. Earlier this month, Sydney was shrouded under a thick blanket of smoke for several days from dozens of deliberately lit fires to reduce the bushfire risk. So one of the significant components that we're dealing with right now is a huge amount of undergrowth as well as overgrowth and grasslands, um, which has come up during uh, the rainy season after 1920. The problem is back-to-back wet seasons made keeping up with hazard reduction burning extremely difficult, so much so that Only about 24% of those targeted areas had been completed by the end of last year. The country's heat wave is expected to ease by the end of the week, but meteorologists say 
hotter and drier conditions fueling an increased risk of bushfires will remain here for months. That was Greg Navarro on the Australian wildfires. Now we move on to Europe. Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi has met Russian President Vladimir Putin in Saint Petersburg. The meeting marked the end of Wang Yi's four-day visit to Russia, where he met several high-ranking officials. Alosha Milankovic has more. It was clear from the very beginning that the tone of the Putin-Wang meeting would be very friendly. President Vladimir Putin entered the room with a big smile on his face and approached China's foreign minister Wang Yi for a long and friendly handshake. The two dignitaries then sat at the table, joined by the Secretary of Russia's Security Council, Nikolai Patrushev, and also China's ambassador to Russia, Zhang Hanghui. In his opening remarks, Putin welcomed Wang Yi, mentioning that this is his second visit to Russia this year. Putin also addressed the visit of China's President Xi Jinping to Moscow back in March. According to the Russian president, that has been a very successful visit that gave impetus for further expansion of collaboration between the two countries. Wang Yi gave his perspective on the meetings he had with Nikolai Patrushev and Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. He emphasized China's readiness to strengthen relations with Russia. That was Alyosha Milankovic reporting from Moscow. To the Americas, rising violence in Haiti has forced many Haitians to flee their country. The United States has issued a travel warning due to their unrest. Meanwhile, Haitians in the U.S. find themselves being repatriated or deported. Neither Soledad Paris has the story. Gang violence, kidnappings, civil unrest, political turmoil, and the occasional natural disasters in Haiti have all contributed to the U.S. State Department recently warning U.S. citizens to leave as soon as possible. At the same time, Haitians in the U.S. are being deported back to Haiti. More people died in Haiti in the last any period you want to pick, whether you're talking about the last six months, the last month, then died in the Ukraine. Let that sink in. Now who's dying? These are just regular civilians who are trying to live their lives and they're being overrun by gangs that are receiving shipment upon shipment of guns coming from these United States. But for right now, as these people are literally just trying to live, not trying to get raped, not trying to get robbed, not trying to get beat, we can stop the deportations. According to the latest UN report on Haiti, the number of killings and kidnappings increased by almost 14% compared to the previous quarter. A total of 1,860 cases were recorded. For Richard Nixon Hustachi, a Haitian who spent six months at a U.S. detention center, he says the U.S. foreign policy toward Haiti and its people is hypocritical. I understand they deport someone who's a criminal, but a person that is asking for asylum, that is asking for protection, should not be treated that way. It's hypocrisy from immigration authorities and from the administration itself. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security says the U.S. will continue repatriating Haitian nationals back to their country, despite the rising violence and unrest. U.S. border authorities say they encountered nearly 125,000 Haitians between last October and July. Human rights groups and the United Nations have urged the United States and other countries to stop the practice. 
Meanwhile, thousands of Haitians continue to risk their lives at sea and by land in desperate attempts to flee their country's violence. That was Nita Soledad Perez on the crisis in Haiti. Chinese Vice Foreign Minister Ma Zhaoxu says China is ready to work with members of the United Nations Security Council to bring an end to the conflict in Ukraine. Ma addressed a special session as Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky made his first in-person appearance at the Security Council during the General Assembly. The UNGA also tried to build momentum for the COP28 climate conference later this year. Nathan King reports from New York. There was a real argument between the Russian ambassador and this month's presidency uh, and essentially Russia tried to delay the proceedings. When Vladimir Zelensky did finally speak, he basically questioned whether Russia should be uh, sitting at the Security Council at all. In fact, he had a suggestion uh, that the veto in the Security Council could be overridden by the General Assembly if the UN changed its rules. Now, Russia wouldn't agree to that. When China spoke, they essentially said, look, let's stop pouring oil on the fire and look for more diplomatic ways to achieve peace. We believe that the sovereignty and the territorial integrity of all countries should be respected. The purposes and the principles of the UN Charter observed. The legitimate security concerns of all countries taken seriously and all efforts conducive to resolving the crisis supported. The other crisis, of course, is climate change, and it was a sort of shaming summit where the big emitters weren't given speaking slots. Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, saying it is a hellish atmosphere right now in the world. So he was highlighting nations that are going above and beyond their climate uh, commitments ahead of COP28 in about uh, six or seven weeks' time. Uh, So the big emitters like the US, China, India uh, weren't there. And he's basically asking for them to deliver on not just their promises, but bring something new to COP28 and get this financing sorted of 100 billion a year plus other monies to help the global south change to green energy and mitigate and adapt to the climate change. That was Nathan King reporting from the United Nations. More on the UN General Assembly. Global migration trends are on the agenda of the United Nations General Assembly now underway in New York. With over 100 million people worldwide forcibly displaced, these discussions at the highest level can have major impacts on how the migration crisis is managed. Alastair Beverstock reports. In the thick of an ongoing migration crisis in North America, Gabriela Hernandez is the director of one of Mexico City's longest-standing migrant shelters. Over the past two decades, Gabriela has viewed the turmoil across countries in Latin America and the Caribbean through the arrivals she receives at the shelter. Right now, there is another large wave of Haitians passing through, as well as quite a few Venezuelans. Also, the flow of migrants from Central America never stops. All of these migrants have the goal of reaching the U.S. border, where American authorities reported encounters with more than 2.3 million migrants undertaking irregular crossings in 2022. The U.N. Refugee Agency, UNHCR, reports more than 100 million people are forcibly displaced worldwide, with the highest volume of people fleeing countries like Afghanistan, Myanmar, South Sudan and Syria. Today, we have 110 million people 
that have fled because of conflict, persecution, discrimination, violence, often mixed with other motives, in particular the impact of climate change. It's quite uh, an indictment on the state of our world. Pedro Diaz de la Vega is a former Mexican diplomat to the UN and says it's important for the General Assembly to address these issues. The UN General Assembly can help to solve migration problems by looking at countries' needs for sustainable development. For example, Europe's demand for senior care workers could easily be covered by Latin American refugees who have this training. But countries make it difficult. The United Nations can collaborate by understanding different countries' needs and making the transition process more flexible. As UN diplomats meet in New York, their work can have impacts for millions of the most vulnerable people across the world. That was Alastair Beverstock on the global migration trends. Now on the Canada-India tensions. The Indian government has issued an advisory cautioning its citizens in Canada against traveling to areas prone to anti-Indian activities. This came in the wake of soaring relations between the two countries after a Sikh separatist leader labeled by New Delhi as a terrorist was killed in Canada in June. The Canadian government has blamed the killing on Indian agents. Both countries have expelled one diplomat from each other's embassy. Benji Hire has more details. This days-old row started back on Monday, actually, when Justin Trudeau, Canada's Prime Minister, said his country's intelligence services were pursuing credible allegations that India was involved in the murder of a Canadian Sikh leader back in June. India's denied this. It calls those allegations absurd, although... New Delhi's National Investigation Agency did accuse the deceased Hardeep Singh Nijar of being a terrorist. The context is that Nijar, the victim, was part of a, a pro-Khalistan movement that calls for the creation of an independent Sikh homeland in parts of modern-day India and Pakistan. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi's party paints that movement as a threat to India, whilst the dream of an independent uh, Khalistan remains significant in parts of the Sikh diaspora in Canada. One thing's becoming more apparent and more alarming, which is that the fallout goes beyond the two countries directly involved. Canada's part of the G7. It's part of an intelligence-sharing uh, partnership with the United States. That means Washington here could be drawn into the dispute too. That was Benji Hire reporting. Before we go, the headlines again. Firefighters in Australia are battling more than 60 wildfires across three states as the eastern part of the country bakes under an unusual spring heatwave. Canada and India have issued travel warnings to their nationals as the rift widens over the killing of a Sikh separatist leader. And China says it's ready to work with members of the United Nations Security Council to bring an end to the conflict in Ukraine. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Thank you for listening.